So how many of you have an all-time favorite Bible verse or Bible passage? You can raise your hands wide and high. I would stop, I would stop and ask you what they were, but <clears throat> we don't have time. So, but it would be fun to share them sometime. So today we have my, one of my favorite passages. It's not a verse exactly, but it has a whole context from Joshua. We're going to take a little <clears throat> leap from the Gospel of John 6 on bread of life, and we're going back to this wonderful text. Joshua, as you may know, I'm sure it's all review for, me, for you, but he calls a meeting inviting all the Jewish elders, as Fred read, the judges, the teachers, uh, and the, the people who have been leading uh, Israel for many, many years. He, he's entrusted these leaders <clears throat> with the many tribal uh, responsibilities, maintaining justice and mercy among the people in their tribes for many, many years now. And Joshua then also gathers the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel at Shechem, a city that has been a refuge, kind of a holy city, a safe haven for them through the many, many years. It has much history for Israel. For instance, it was here that Abraham received the promise long, long ago that God would make his offspring a great nation. Here, Abraham built an altar at Shechem in commemoration of the miraculous future he was promised. Moses' story led the people closer when God fed them and freed them from uh, the bitter slavery in Egypt after they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And so still en route to the promised land, they had to come through Shechem. Now all those terrible battles that they fought on the way are behind them. But Moses died before he got there. It is now Joshua's time. Joshua was chosen to lead the people into the promised land, across the Jordan River, through battles and all kinds of skirmishes and victories that finally won them the whole promised land. And now they are settled. All that is behind them. A little bit of ancient history. And today the old warrior Joshua gives his last lecture, you might say. God has kept his word. Israel stands on the brink of that new nation's birth. So it's time for everyone to recommit themselves and their future to honoring God's covenant, God's laws, and God's commandments. Time for the people to recommit that the top relationship in their lives, individually and corporately, all 12 tribes, is going to be God Almighty. Because their communal success, as any nation's safety and identity, depends on such singular devotion and relationship with God and his parameters for peace and justice. The same as our forefathers and foremothers who started the American nation, had to state in so many words, in God we trust. Shechem's historic moment is really a life-renewing kind of thing as a renewal of marriage vows might be. For a couple, maybe some of you have had that done. After a good marriage, time comes along when you say, you know, we'd kind of like to re- renew and re-up our marriage vows to just solidify them and celebrate them a little more. And they've made a vow to their partner in sickness and in health until death parts them. 
They make a vow to be honest and generous with each other, giving devotion sacrificially to the other, not counting the cost. Yet as you are well aware, day in and day out in our society, it's so hard to keep our commitments, to keep our promises faultlessly, to not let the job and children's issues challenge the unit of love that forms the relationship. So it's beneficial to renew and publicly stand before people and each other and affirm your love continues later on in the relationship. The same is true in our faith with God. We may have been Christians all our days, but still it is important to recommit. And Joshua knows in today's reading this new generation of Israelites settling in the land wasn't even born when their parents won the victories. The promised land journey began. And so this personal renewal is not just for the old folks, but it's for the rising generation who will be taking over. As we think of our rising generation in America in this way, in the faith context, we know this is not a bad idea, according to worship statistics for the millennial generation, to need to try to find the God in their lives that they will serve, the number one God. And we pray it continues to be our Lord Jesus Christ. So Joshua asked the crowd before him, Choose this day whom you will serve. Now if you are unwilling to serve the Lord, choose whom you will. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. On the brink of a new life together, choose to whom you will pledge your utmost loyalty. Military power, love and grace, your personal brain power, luck and chance, or financial wealth. A freer translation has Joshua saying this, Fear God, worship him in total commitment, and if you decide it's a bad thing to worship God, then choose a God you'd rather serve. You probably already have, and you do it today. But as for me and my household, we will worship God. You know, Joshua has an urgency in his command, in his demand, because he knows it matters altogether what God, little g, we serve and choose. It certainly matters in our time so much as well. Religious groups, how well we know, like ISIS, claim their violent and horrific destructive actions in Syria, in Iraq, and around the world are demanded by their God and his expectations of them. We all worship or serve something, even if it isn't the creator God. Notice how many times the word serve is repeated in the two paragraphs we read in the Old Testament from Joshua. Eight times. Eight times. Serve, it can mean to be a slave to also. So what enslaves most of your time and your energy and your loyalty? We can start our research there. Is it sports practices, getting a degree, being the head of your company, 
making just a little bit more money? Do our poor worship statistics as a nation witness to the world whom we have chosen to serve? All Christians face Joshua's questions on a daily basis. Our loyalties are many. And how difficult it is in our fast-paced society with so many demands on our time and energy to give the first priority to our Lord Jesus Christ, beginning with Sunday Sabbath observance, or giving time to read his story and the loving acts in Scripture. It seems a hardship for so many. Bible reading is a rare national pastime choked out by the burden of pursuing the good life, as we define it, for our children and even our pets. Our Lutheran Church has been on an eight-year campaign now to raise biblical literacy in our population. They've called it the Book of Faith, the Book of Faith Initiative. And I like this story. Former Bishop Mark Hansen, our presiding bishop, tells a story that shows why we need this particular focus on Bible reading. He said, I was sitting on an airplane, and we were stuck for a while without so much as water for thirsty passengers. A flight attendant spotted me, seated, wearing my white clerical collar. So I jokingly said to her, maybe you could bring me some of those little bottles of wine, the ones that you sell here on the plane. And I could turn them into water. Hansen said, The young woman, perhaps in her 30s, looked blankly at me and said quite transparently, I'm sorry, Father, but I don't have any idea what you are talking about. Unfortunately, this unfamiliarity with Jesus' stories is rampantly growing. A sign of our times How can we make a pledge to a God whose story and teaching we've never read, we've never internalized or even challenged? Oh, there are some with scientific minds who find it bogus to commit to a God whom they cannot pin down and diagram and understand. How does this happen, they say? Why does God do that? How can you believe in an invisible God? And there I like the response of Donald Miller in his book, Blue Like Jazz. He says, too much of our time is spent trying to chart God on a grid and little spent allowing our hearts to feel awe. By reducing Christian spirituality to formula, we deprive our hearts of wonder. I need wonder to explain what's going to happen to me, he said. What's going to happen to us when this thing is done, when our shift is over and our kids are still on the earth listening to their crazy rap music? At the end of the day, when I'm lying in bed and I know the chances of any of our theology being right are a million to one, I need to know that God has things figured out. That if my math is wrong, we are still going to be okay. But the reading 
from Joshua and our gospel tell us ultimately that things will be okay, not problem-free, but life-giving, if we can covenant with God above all as the head of our household. We need to reclaim that promise daily. God, number one, and we are meant to be molded then by that God who created us, who protects us, who forgives us and trusts us to serve others in his world with the same compassion and grace he has shown us. Preacher Willimon says, when we love someone deeply, we find ourselves no longer thinking in terms of I or you, but rather in terms of we and us and others. Our love for God in Jesus beckons us on one of the most important journeys we will ever undertake, the long countercultural journey outside of ourselves toward the true center of our being, who is Jesus. We say he saves us from our sins, but I'm thinking it's also true to say Jesus Christ saves us from ourselves. So, choose this day whom you will serve, Upper Dublinites, Amblerites, Gwenedites. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Amen.